Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're home alone. You have an uneasy feeling in the darkness. Like someone or something is watching you. Why is it suddenly cold in this room? You hear footsteps. Whispers, or even laughter. You go to check. You feel a presence behind you. And then the fear sets in. I'm K-Town, and you're listening to Paranormal Fears. So my name is Mark Leslie, and I, I've been a writer since I was a kid, and I was always drawn to the darkness. I was always drawn to worrying about the things you couldn't see in the dark, worrying about the monster under my bed and, the, you know, the, the monster in the closet and the one under the stairs and all those things that sort of captivate a child's imagination. And I, I never outgrew. <laughs> I never outgrew that speculation of and wondering what is it that's in the dark that we can't see. And so that sort of led to a an interest in spooky things. And and for most of my life, I wrote fiction, a speculative fiction. So, you know, what if sort of stories of science fiction and fantasy and horror. And then it wasn't until the early 90s when I uh, went on a ghost walk in Ottawa, Ontario. And I uh, I'd always thought history was boring. And then I went on this historic ghost walk of our nation's capital, and I fell in love with history. And I fell in love with the stories that come from exploring these unexplainable phenomena, often involving ghosts. And that's kind of what clinched it for me. And then I started researching ghosts. And and then my first book came out, um, Haunted Hamilton, back in 2012. That was the very first nonfiction book of true ghost stories that I wrote. So that's kind of how I got into that in the first place. Now, okay, so you say Ottawa. And you know, I was stationed at Fort Drum, so it wasn't too far from Ottawa. And my friends used to tell me, you know, you need to go to Ottawa. So beautiful up there. (laughs) I totally regret it, man. I never went there. And I was just wondering, you know, since Ottawa is your capital, I mean, you went on the ghost walk. I mean, is it known for being a haunted area? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you ever get a chance to go back, I strongly encourage you to go. Uh, There's a haunted walks group there. And they offer several different tours. One of them is the Ghosts and the Gallows tours, where they actually take you to one of the oldest uh, jails. Uh, and it's spelled the Gaelic jail, <laughs> like Gale, it's, it looks like. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, in, in Canada, it's actually allegedly one of the most haunted buildings in Canada. And uh, one of the more fascinating things about this, this jail was... And it's right downtown, not too far from the Parliament buildings where all the, you know, all the Ottawa action happens in <laughs> the nation's capital. And it's uh, since been converted into a youth hostel, but now sort of a a, a, a very inexpensive hotel where you know, it used to be $34 a night. And you could stay in an old converted jail cell where even like, you know, prisoners on death row used to stay. So <laughs> it's kind of a creepy place to stay <laughs> with the bars and everything still there. but. 
that is where a lot of paranormal activity has happened. You know, there's a on the fourth floor. There's a faceless uh, female ghost that's sometimes seen in the washroom, and you can sometimes hear her crying. And it's always creepy because when people walk in, they see this woman crying, looking in the mirror, and then when she turns to face you, she has no face whatsoever. And there's other other ghosts that um, the ghost of a priest that comes in and sits sits on your bed as if they're giving you last rites. Uh, so weird things like that have happened in that building. And so yeah, Ottawa, lots of really creepy stories there. I don't think I want to stay in the jail. <laughs> Though, no. you know, I mean, the jail seems really just I'm with crazy. <laughs> when I was on a tour with my my partner, Liz, we were there researching for Creepy Capital, like, because uh, she, she loves doing that stuff and coming on the trips with me. And while we're on the tour, she goes, oh, my God, we could stay here next time we come to Ottawa. And I'm like, no, you can stay here. I'll be in the Novotel <laughs> across the street with all the lights on. <laughs> I'm not staying here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's what I'm me? saying. I'm <laughs> oh, it's cool, though. I mean, that, you know, I mean, it's still there, right? I mean, you can still... Still going, it's still open. Oh, uh, yeah, it's still open. You can still stay there. I haven't been back to Ottawa in a, in a few years, but I a few times when I've gone to Ottawa, we've gone back on the tours, and there's a bar located in, in the basement of the building um, that's sort of themed around crime and stuff like that, and they always have, like, really great indie, indie music there, So, and they have great craft beer, so I'll, I'll sometimes go to the to the bar there, but... Um, no, I'm not, I'm not staying there. That's for sure. I'm, I'm too too much of a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Stay well, in a place like that. I'm a chicken right with you. Right with you. <laughs> and yet we talk about these things all the time. We yeah. explore them, right? We really want to know more about them, but we just don't want to be that close. Yeah, right. From a distance. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, your book. Okay, so your book, this is one of how many paranormal books? I know you have quite a few, and I have several. Yeah, right now I have six out. Six and yeah, Tomes of Terror was, I think it was the third book that I released, actually. Uh, in, in that topic, nonfiction, true ghost stories. And tell us what this book is based on. What we talk about. So, yeah, Tomes of Terror. So the subtitle is Haunted Bookstores and Libraries. I do alliteration. So it's one of the shticks I do with my books. So Haunted Hamilton, Spooky Sudbury. Sudbury is a mining community in mid-northern Ontario where I grew up. Creepy Capital, obviously, about Ottawa. Tomes of Terror. So I had to go with alliteration. So I was haunted bookstores and libraries. And what it is, is unlike the other books, which are more a focus on, on a particular city or town, Tomes of Terror is on, on a type of location. Now, bookstores and libraries. Now, I'm a gigantic book nerd. I always follow Cicero has a quote that says, a room without books is like a body without a soul. I am a huge book nerd. And I... I've always loved books, and, and two of the most magnificent and marvelous places that I can think of to be in as a person are bookstores or libraries. I'm just I'm just a fan. I can't not go into one when I go into a town, just like I can't not go on a ghost tour if there's one available. And so Tomes of Terror is, is a look at it's um, uh, 30% of the content is Canadian locations, 30% of the content is American locations, and 30 percent is the rest of the world. Well, it's technically 33, 33, 33 and a bit, you know, to do the rounding up to 100. But yeah, it's just to look at different locales and the stories associated with these libraries and bookstores. And so it's a lot of cases of, you know, people who are still seen. And, and one of my favorites is, is Haslam's bookstore in uh, Florida that's allegedly haunted by the ghost of Jack Kerouac. Some of them are, are haunted by the founders. Some of them are haunted by patrons who never seem to want to leave or librarians who are just so attached to their work that even in the afterlife they've stuck around so it's just so fascinating to write about these locales and that that's kind of tomes of terror in a nutshell got you i love libraries too and i have a ton of books i have a lot of books really yeah 
probably have thousands of books, but let me ask you this. Okay. So each location that you talk about, yeah. have you been to all of them? Oh God, no, no. That would be a dream come true. Okay. Uh, I mean, many of the locations, unfortunately, are closed or used to be bookstores and are oh, now really? something else. Oh. But no, I, I couldn't possibly have gotten to all of them. That would have been way too expensive. So a lot of my research is done. I've been to a number of them. A lot of my research is done from reading other books, reading uh, newspaper articles, uh, magazines, videos that have been shared of people who've gone on explorations, and, and tons of interviews with people, like either first-person accounts or, or just you know stories that have been shared by people who've had weird experiences in these stores. So a lot is research-based in I don't know, like maybe I've been to 10 to 15% of them. Just it's, it's hard. When it's yeah. one city, no problem. You can get to all the locations. But when it's all over the world, that's just, um, yeah, so- <laughs> yeah, that's too hard. <laughs> Got you. Okay, so let's talk about this one here. This was in Toronto. It's, okay. Is it pronounced the Run- Runamede? Runamede, uh, Runamede uh, bookstore, yeah. Uh, the, the, this is the uh, Indigo? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that one was oh yeah. That, how did you get the, how did you find this one? Are you are you calling let me ask you a little bit about yeah. the research. I mean, are you yeah. you said you, you did a lot of research for the ones that you couldn't go to. Are you calling yeah. the library? I mean, how are you finding the stories? Well, sometimes the stories come from previous employees. So sometimes when I call and I ask, I, I get the, the shaft. <laughs> I just kind of can't get anywhere. Because a lot of people don't want to talk about the, the weird stuff, right? There's like, no, that's bad publicity or whatever. And I'm thinking, no, man, more people want to come check out your location because <laughs> they're intrigued. <laughs> Maybe they attract the wrong kind of people. But I, I'll often find uh, out about them uh, when I do book events. So, for example, I was doing one yesterday uh, on the day we were recording this. And, and I was in a small town at a, at a book festival. And I had someone say, hey, would you, have you ever written a book about this area? Well, did you know there's a ghost in this hotel? And did you know this? And you know, so there I am making tons of notes so i keep i hang on to these notes maybe for years and then when i'm ready to write a book about that theme or that locale reach out if if i've got the person's contact information i'll reach out to them or i even on my website right now because i am researching for three different books at marklesley.ca i've got a form for uh, weird waterloo for example which is the 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 greater region of waterloo where i live in ontario i'm researching if anyone has any stories to share please enter them here. And then hopefully they leave contact information so I can email them back or call them back. And and, and usually I need a bit more info than they provide, but it's usually a lead. In this particular case, there was some people that had had experiences there. And then there was also some articles. It's it's sometimes a weird combination where I just try to collect all that information and bring them all together. Got you. All right. Well, tell me about Runamede. So uh, this was a gorgeous, gorgeous bookstore because it was a theater. It was a it was a classic theater, and and it was built in. It, this is a an area known as the Bloor West Village, in sort of the west end of of Toronto, which is you know Canada's largest city, which by American standards isn't very big, but for us it's a huge place, <laughs> a sprawling metropolis. Yeah. So this is built in the 1920s, late 1920s, and oh, it's just this gorgeous theater and it i think it was one of the first theaters like that in in canada that was like vaudeville and stuff like that so in the in in the late 30s it was it was turned into a movie theater but it still had the feel and the look of of the old beautiful historic building and so it was reopened after it had shut down it was reopened so chapters indigo Chapters was a major book chain, so kind of like a Barnes and Noble. There were two chains in Canada: Chapters and Indigo, uh, Barnes and Noble Borders, just to, for American listeners. And Chapters moved in there and it created a big box store location. But they, what they did is they revised or they restored 
the beautiful arc ceilings and the architecture and all the beautiful look and feel. They even had this fake old movie projector up in the in the one balcony, so it it still looked like a theater, but it was a gigantic, gorgeous bookstore, just gorgeous, gorgeous bookstore. So these are bookstores like a large Barnes and Noble that had, you know, about a hundred thousand titles in stock. And and so of course when it reopened was when a lot of the stories came back into play. And and some of them were uh, Ghost of a Little Girl, who allegedly died in the 1900s on the stage. And the, the, the stories aren't sure whether, you know, whether she was a child performer, whether she was family of one of the actors or, or she working at the stage. I don't know, because they employed young young children often. I can imagine, I know in mines they implied young children because they were small and can fit in tight spaces, like imagine operating lights and stuff like that for little locales, or they were lighter so they could be up in the flies in the ceiling. It didn't have to be built as, as sturdy for uh, adults. But anyways, the stories are that they would see this little girl, and they still sort of had the restored stage when it was a bookstore. They would sometimes see the, the little girl there. They could sometimes hear her as well. They'd see her standing there, and then she would just disappear into thin air. I remember there was a woman would hear, uh, heard a child crying and she kept looking to see where this child was, but then she realized the crying was coming out of the speakers of the building. And then she looked into the history and then thought, oh my God, maybe it's that, that ghost girl. Because she had never heard the ghost girl until this, this time, which, which kind of helps the story a little. Because if she'd heard of it, their imagination and might have been uh, playing tricks on her. So I always like when this, when the person who experienced something either didn't believe or hadn't heard what they were expected to hear. Because sometimes when we set our expectations, we see things we expect to see or hear things we expect to see. So there were also uh, cold spots. Some people would complain of just mysterious dizziness, like they would walk into this area and suddenly be overcome with dizziness, not sure what was going on. And there, there were books not just falling off the shelves. But they were, they were just like flying off the shelf as if being flung by someone, as if someone didn't want them there. And of course, always the mysterious shadowy figures, especially closer to the stage that would appear and disappear at that location. Being that it was a Barnes and Noble, did they have cameras installed at that time? Do you know if they... This chain uh, chapters did not have cameras, not even trained on the cash desk. I, I used to manage a different location uh, back in the early days of the forming of this chain, and they did not have. <laughs> no, they had cameras in the receiving areas in the back, but not on not in the not in the store itself. So no, Man. there were no cameras at the time. Gotcha. It, it's Shoppers Drug Mart, which is kind of like Walgreens <laughs> in the U.S. And uh, and I hadn't I haven't been able to pick up any stories or you know sort of cameras caught something. And in some of the locations, yeah, there are cameras that actually caught something they can't explain. But I haven't been able to find anything for this location since. Gotcha. And so that building and the way they had that set up sounds really amazing. I'd like to see. Is it still open or has that one? Closed down. It's a shopper's drug mart. And to be quite honest, I'm not even sure if during the pandemic it closed. I haven't actually, you know, the book came out many, many years ago. And so sometimes I move on to other projects. But yeah, it was a shopper's drug mart and they did still try to keep the facades and stuff like that in place. But I'm not even sure if it's still still open, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'd like to see. I'm wondering if I can, I'm going to try to get online. Maybe someone's got pictures of the interior of that. It really sounds unique and yeah. I would have loved to <laughs> went inside that one. Wow. Yeah, I wish it was still a bookstore because, you know, the bookstore, I, I love theater. I love bookstores. So the combination of the two is just, it was spellbinding uh, just to be there. I didn't see anything other than a glorious giant bookstore with the theatrical <laughs> <laughs> fixings. <laughs> <laughs> got you. 
And uh, okay, here's another one. We'll stay in Canada for a minute. Yeah, yeah, sure. The Inuit carving display mystery. This is in Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario. Yeah, that was my neighborhood bookstore for the longest time. I lived in Hamilton, Ontario. My son was little. We used to we used to go there every Saturday. It was just, it is was that just in so the south? Fun. Is that in the southern? Is it southeast? Yeah, or? so it's uh, southeast of Toronto. So it's just around the Great Lakes, just at the edge of the Great Lakes. So Hamilton, Ontario is maybe a, an hour drive to Niagara Falls, where you can cross over into Niagara Falls, New York, or Buffalo, etc. So it's pretty close to the uh, south of <laughs> southern Ontario, I should say. And um, and this is the Terryberry Library. It was a branch of the Hamilton Public Library, and and so this was uh, this was a library that was built long time, like prior to the War of eighteen twelve. It was a public meeting house for what we had called Upper Canada back back in the day, and and it was a, a community meeting place. But they used it like a, a community hall. There was there was dances and parties and and, and public gatherings, and it was at a significant what a crossroads. And and so for anyone, obviously your listeners understand that the significance of crossroads are allegedly where there's higher incidence of paranormal activity because of the the power of of these things coming together in our plane. And so this this has been ter- converted into a building. The location was converted into a a library. One of the interesting things is I was doing a talk in 2012, 2013 uh, about Haunted Hamilton. And I hadn't written about Terry Berry, I don't think, in that book. But I was giving my talk, and, and usually I hang around and I talk to, to folks afterwards. And there was a woman who was sitting in, in the front row and she approached me and introduced herself as a medium. And, and I'd been there to just share, you know, ghost stories with the projector and some pictures of some of the places of Hamilton that I talked about in my first book. And she said, well, there was someone standing there the whole time and he was just over your right shoulder. I mean, no one else could see him, but I could see him because I'm a medium. And then she started to describe him. And I almost broke down in tears because she was um, describing my father who had passed away well, almost 10 years uh, earlier. And it just brought me amazing comfort to know he was kind of watching me proudly. That was an interesting. But then there was a story I heard from the staff member that was really, really intriguing. They had this uh, Inuit carving display that was up. uh, It was in a small display case on the main floor of of the building. And there was these little soapstone figures. And and what would happen is the staff would notice because they're under glass. And it'd take a significant amount of weight for any one person to try and lift it. And people would come by and they would notice that the, the carvings were constantly being moved. <laughs> they were constantly in different positions. And people were, you know, nobody claimed they, they moved anything. And, and knowing, knowing the difficulty of getting to them, that kind of really threw people off. And so they were wondering if it was related to the history, if it was related to maybe some of the travelers who, you know, stayed at this crossroads hotel when it was a place? Did they stay on? Were they trying to move things around? Was it even related to patients from a nearby hospital that wasn't too far from from this particular location? But they couldn't figure it out. That, that was a really, really strange, inexplainable mystery, the library. And so again, I research a lot of stuff at libraries. So I love talking to library staff and and picking up their, you know, them sharing their own experiences of saying, yeah, no, we, we couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure this one. Have you talked to anyone that says they had people actually quit because of the paranormal activity happening in the libraries? Not in this particular location. Like in this one, it was just odd and they couldn't explain it. They didn't see anything. There was nothing sort of malevolent. There was no, there was no like, you know, get out kind of presence. It was just this 
all right, this is weird. We can't figure it out. It's kind of spooky, but not for that particular location. No, I, I don't think. I'm trying to think of different. If in any of my research, there were people that had quit. I'm pretty sure there were cases of nighttime custodians not refusing to go back in. <laughs> I know one of the, ho like several of the hospital uh, stories uh, in some of my other books. Yeah, it's like, no, no, I'm sorry. I remember one guy who called his boss. And said, I just left. I'm not going back in. See ya. I don't need the job that bad. <laughs> was that the, see, I had you on the show and I think you talked about the asylum. That was the, the asylum. That's actually it? not too far from this location. Wow, <laughs> was just, that was just, crazy. Uh, cross, the next crossroads down the, down the way. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. crazy. Yeah, that one's, yeah, listeners have to go on <laughs> Mysterious one, yeah. Radio to hear that one. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about, uh, have you been to Florida? So, because I'm going to talk about something in Florida. Oh, I'm going there again next week. You are? Uh, in late September, I'm going down for Novelist Sync. Uh, really? Which is Where at? St. Pete Beach and Florida. Oh, you and I would be kind of close to each other. I'll be in Destin. Oh, um, cool. Awesome. The last, let's see, I'll be in there the first week of October. I'll be down there for. Oh, wow. So have, you, have you been to Haslam's and St. Pete Beach? No, I haven't. But so Haslam's and St. Pete. No, what is that? Uh, What's Haslam's? I think of them as the royalty of, of uh, American independent bookselling. They're one of the oldest independently owned bookstores in the country. And they have a combination of new books and used books. And, and the founders, this is an interesting thing. When I was writing the book, my editor at uh, Dundurn, kept telling me to, to, to shut up about the history of the bookstore because I would get so fascinated in this. And I went on this you know six-page rant about, this is like the royal family of American indie bookselling because they helped form the American Booksellers Association. And these guys are, you know, prestigious and, you know, loved by everyone. I had to cut a, a bunch of that stuff out and, or they put it, even put it into sidebars for book nerds like me. Because, you know, my editor rightfully said, uh, she said, uh, people are here for the ghosts. <laughs> not, not right, for the for, not for the history. <laughs> I was like, but you're if right, they're right. book nerds and ghost nerds, then they're, they're my kind of people and they're going to love this. But anyway, so this particular location. So it's a glorious, gigantic bookstore. Just, fan I mean, I've been to it every time I go back to St. Pete Beach. It's probably been there half a dozen times so far. I always make a point of going uh, into this bookstore. So I... Um, Hemingway, not Hemingway, uh, sorry, <laughs> Jack Kerouac on the road. Uh, he moved uh, and he died young, but he moved in with his mother in, in this town and he would visit the bookstore frequently. Now, he was not apparently, didn't get along well with the management team. And I've been a bookseller and I understand this. Sometimes you get authors who will come in and books are alphabetically organized, for example, and, and, and their books may be near foot level. So they're not eye level because they're in alphabetical order. And you sometimes get authors who move their books to the eye level shelf completely out of place. And also, if it's spined, they'll, they'll put it face out over top of three or four other book spines. So they're hiding other books. It's in the wrong spot where nobody can find it, but they want to be more visible. And, and allegedly, Kerouac used to do this, and, and a manager would get angry with them, and they would get in very loud arguments that plenty of people witnessed. And so allegedly after he died, the books would still move just like he used to move. And every once in a while, people would see Hemingway. Uh, sorry, why do I keep saying Hemingway? Probably because there's a picture of a ghost of Hemingway in my office here. That's probably why. <laughs> but You're fine. <laughs> it's a conceptual painting, of course. But Kerouac would occasionally be seen. And, and I remember my very first visit to Haslam's after the book came out, because I wrote about it before I had a chance to visit. I went in to visit, and and they actually had copies of my book on the shelf because I wrote about them in it. And and I said, "Oh, hey, I'm the I'm the author of Tomes of Terror. Uh, do, do you want me to sign these copies so you can put a little autograph by the offer sticker?" And the cashier said, "Oh, yeah, I love that book." She goes, "As a matter of fact, I saw Jack last week." 
He was just like, just saw Jack and just like, just like he's a staff member, a part-timer who <laughs> he was working here last week. And she, she brought me along. She took me around the corner to where she said, well, I was here and it was late at night and we were just getting ready to close. And this guy walked by and he went around the corner. And then I put, like, and when she popped over to look at the other side, there was like nobody there. He had disappeared. And then she pulled a book off the shelf. It was like a penguin biography of, of Kerouac and there's a picture and she goes and he was you know it looked like this he was wearing this thing and I was like oh my god that was freaky that kind of freaked me out and then the other cool thing that I noticed about the picture is the picture I took of her holding that Jack Kerouac book that I posted to Instagram or on my blog or wherever I didn't notice at the time but there's this weird blurry line right in the middle of the shot and I had no idea what it was because I didn't even see it when I was taking the picture but it came up later and, and again, not that that, you know, is a ghostly thing, but it was just this, where did that come from, that weird blurry line? So, so yeah, I, I, um, that was a fun story, especially because I got a chance to talk to an eyewitness, of course, after the book came out <laughs> for that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I was going to, um, something else I was going to ask you. I'm sorry. It slipped my mind here. That's okay. You said Hemingway and I was going to say. Yeah, I got all excited. About yes. Hemingway, don't have any Hemingway <laughs> ghost stories, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So let me ask you this. Okay. So let's go to Florida. And I had it marked. Hold on a minute. I don't want Was there another one in Florida and I got excited about Haslam's? Yeah, there's another one. The Haunted poetry book and this is the lady this oh okay, yeah. that was florida i see i forgot where that was sorry <laughs> no you're fine you're, you're totally, yeah. totally fine do you remember this one i mean i don't expect you remember all of them you know what i'm saying i mean so well this is this is neat because this is a haunted book and i am working on I, i'll be re-researching that one to to write about in um in a book that I'm, I'm working on right now. But um, so thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> this was, uh, I, I guess this was Florida. I, I didn't even remember where this was. This was The Lady of the Lake, uh, Sir Walter Scott. And it was a book. And so we have our favorite, you probably have a favorite book and, and people ask you what's the, what's your favorite book ever or whatever. And you always have, maybe even have a copy of it at all times because you're giving it away to friends and stuff like that. But it, it's like, you never want to let go. You want to hang on to it. And so uh, Lady of the Lake, this is an old, Walter Scott lived in the 1800s. This was like a, a long epic poem that he wrote. It was a really influential book. So this, the poem, you know, hundreds of years later is not, you know, as well known as like Shakespeare or some of the other stuff that, that are popular. But this one was allegedly a choice for a ghost in, in what was called the Scott House, which was in um, Ocala, 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 Florida. And it was part of a of a, of a larger sort of business that was a bed and breakfast and it was an inn. And, and, and they had claimed to be the most haunted bed and breakfast uh, in Florida. They had been featured on some, I think it was Sci-Fi Channel or something like that, one of their ghost shows that they had. And there was a paranormal investigator who went on an investigation in, in the late 2000s, the late aughts. And so what happened is they stayed in a room that was called Sylvia's room because it used to belong to uh, Mrs. Scott. And she was drawn to this book that was printed, uh, a reprint of The Lady of the Lake. And she learned that the book was part of the original estate that was still there. And so they had it in the room. I think they had found it in the basement or the attic or something like that. She picked up the book and she started leafing through it before uh, going to bed. But then later that evening when they, they were up and they were setting up their equipment in uh, like up, upstairs in like the attic loft area, they uh, turned on the feeling, ceiling fans just to get because of the, the, the press of heat that was coming down. And, and they flipped it and then something came flying off the top of the ceiling fan and it was the book that she had placed on her nightstand 
uh, before before you know going to bed you know, for that rest before that you know middle of the night paranormal activity. So they returned to the book to what was known as Sylvia's room, and they were thinking that the spirit was trying to communicate with them and, and let them know that you know it needed to go back where where that they wanted. It's almost like the book attacked them the way it flew off the fan. So they kept moving to other areas of the house, and, and there was various paranormal activity uh, that happened in there. But then she, she arrives home later after the investigation's over. She's unpacking. And there was an unexpected sort of hitchhiker that she found in her bag. And she opens up her laptop bag, and the lady of the light came with her. So she immediately calls the owner and is like, oh, my God, like, I, I didn't steal this. This is something that happened. And the owner told Nancy, keep this book, figuring the book had somehow been drawn to Nancy, kept following her, obviously went, went, somehow got into the room and wanted to keep it. So apparently Nancy said after this that occasionally in her own house, it would disappear from the bedroom and reappear in the strangest places. Like it's playing around, like it just wants to be remembered. It wants to be seen. It wants to be known. It wants to be talked about. But I love the concept of, of a, not just a building being haunted but a book itself being haunted. I, th I think that's really, really incredible. Is it a spirit that's possessing the book or does the book itself have a spirit of its own? That is interesting. Is this the only one that you've ever found like that? No, there's another story from an Ontario, it's an old uh, bookstore. I don't even think is open any longer in, 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 in where I live, the province where I live. And it was a, a used bookstore where a gentleman had bought a it was a history book, like of World War II, and he was fascinated by that. And he brought the book home. And ever since he brought the book home, he'd keep it on his nightstand, he'd wake up in the middle of the night and he would see a shadowy figure off to the right of his bed, the same side of the bed that the nightstand was on. And he kept seeing this older man dressed in a, like an older period costume. And he didn't know what was going on. So he ended up bringing, uh, he was very religious. He brought a priest into the house and he said, listen, I think there's a something possessing this this room. And the priest realized that um, the ghost was somehow connected to the book. And instead of doing an exorcism, he just recommended that the man take the book back to the bookstore. And lo and behold, when he brought the book back to the bookstore, the man never appeared again in his bedroom. So they associated that the, the ghost was attached to this book. So I always, I always caution people when you buy a book from a used bookstore, you, you never know what that might not just be bookmarks and stuff that people stick in books that are coming back with you. It could be, it could be something altogether mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, I mean, things can hold energy, you know, yeah. good and yeah. bad. So that's, that's, that always scares me when I go to antique stores. I don't want to, you know, pick up the wrong thing. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I, I get you. I get you. <laughs> What about cursed books? Like people, you know, check it out and then, you know, strange, unfortunate things start happening to them. Yeah. I, 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 did I have stories of cursed books? I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something I'm, I'm definitely in the process of trying to research now are cursed objects and cursed books. But you think about just how we associate ourselves with, with things like that, with inanimate objects, and we put so much of our passion and love into them. You can't help but wonder if there there may be curses associated um, with books. Is there a specific curse? I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out if there was a, a cursed book now in uh, in that one. Again, not all the stories, <laughs> all the stories remain clear in my mind after all those years. Let's just talk about you, Mark. I want to get your thoughts and maybe discuss yeah. some things that 
you know, maybe you didn't get to put in the book just off the top of your head. Did you ever get any, did you ever get any, um, firsthand accounts from maybe librarians that said, you know, I've worked here for a ton of years and I keep seeing a full bodied apparition of something that's in here. And, you know, I mean, they're really serious and you find them credible that they're seeing something. Yeah. So it's interesting because sometimes I, I go to a lot of different libraries and I will sometimes get librarians tell me stories about weird, unexplainable things that has happened to them. The challenge I run into is I can hear one story from one person, but it may not be enough to build a chapter of the book out of, you know what I mean? And oftentimes I want to get more than just one person's. Sometimes it is one person's story, but there's enough detail. Other times it's just a very fleeting, strange thing that they can't explain. But then if I can combine a whole bunch of different strange things, it's kind of like you triangulate and cross-reference. And it, <laughs> it's not just one person's story, but it's it's multiple people's. So there's oftentimes that I've talked to librarians where they've shared something strange, but I haven't been able to not either corroborate it or or at least come up with a a bit of a background about the location or who the ghost may be. And and that's always a challenge because there's all of, there's still so many stories that don't get told because of that. And I feel like I've, I've let the person down because I haven't shared their story properly, but I also, I don't want the chapter to be, you know, one paragraph. Yeah. You right? so a, I've you got to, I've got to kind of, you know, think about the overall book and can I fit it in somewhere? Can I mention it? And is part of a larger story. And that's, yeah. that's, that's the, the struggle you always, you always come into. It's different when you're sitting around a campfire and you're just telling one quick story, but it's another thing when you're trying to put it together into a book. Right. What about any kind of accounts where multiple people see the same type of phenomena? Yeah. I mean, one of the ones that still sticks in my mind, and again, because I had personal experience at it, was uh, old, an old library location that's no longer a library in the outskirts of, of Hamilton in uh, Dundas. And there was, um, it's associated with the elevator behaving in weird ways, regardless of how many times people have come in and looked at the elevator and checked it out and checked out the mechanics and the electronicals, and they still can't figure out why the elevator would suddenly be operating all on its own, going up and down, doing weird things when nobody's pushing the buttons, no one's doing anything. And it was associated with a pair of tombstones that were found from like sort of founders of the town, this, this uh, husband and wife. And, and on the tombstone, even the, the woman's name, the wife's name was, was spelled incorrectly. So you almost wonder if it's like they're there saying, like trying to call attention to this wrong that needs to be fixed. But after writing about it, after, you know, hearing uh, some accounts, reading some articles about it that were in the local papers, and even in another book, I, I was doing an event near Halloween, as I, I'm often requested to go in and talk to the Halloween staff. And the, the library had closed. It was after hours. So it was a special event where people had you know registered to come. And we were upstairs on the second floor of this library in the children's section and, and talking about haunted bookstores and libraries. And I was, of course, sharing the story about that. And, and one of the staff members said, yeah, this happened a couple weeks ago. And she was explaining what had happened with the elevator that she couldn't explain. And while all of us are upstairs on the second floor, there are no other staff members in the building. It's locked, the front door is locked, and we're all upstairs, and all of a sudden the elevator dings from around the corner from where we were all gathered in the kids' section of the library. And I just looked over at the staff, and my eyes were you know, wide as um, dinner plates, and so were the staffs because they also knew 
there was nobody near the elevator and suddenly it dinged as it arrived at the second floor, but nobody had pushed the button. And so that kind of freaked everyone out. <laughs> and so, and again, there were children and families there. So I didn't freak out like I would normally like scream and run around like, ah, but it was just this really, really creepy moment. And I was like, okay, not only did, you know, one of you had said this had happened to you, but it happened while we were here talking about it. That was freaky. Yeah. <laughs> That is freaky. And elevators, anyway, there's one here I know downtown that just jarred my memory. That's in the TVA building in downtown Knoxville that it just goes by itself. Nobody can figure oh, out what's going yeah, on. Yeah, like what's it. going on? This, so this elevator has a mind of its own. <laughs> yeah, it just goes up and down. And, you know, there's been guards. I know security guards that have quit, you know, from yeah. that building. So it is a creepy place. <laughs> it's like, I'm done. I'm yeah. done working here. <laughs> Totally. Okay. So what are you working? Okay. You, you told me you're working on several things now that sound really interesting. The yeah. cursed objects thing. Are you, are you about finished with that or? Tell oh me no, more about I've the, barely the begun. So I, uh, the next book uh, it's coming out is Weird Waterloo. I'm actually meeting my, my co-author on that tomorrow so we can kind of revise the, the work. It was going to be done by me, but I'm, I'm splitting the work up with uh, someone who's a really good researcher. And um, the other book um, that is still on the back burner is um, Screaming Skulls, Demonic Dolls, and Other Haunted Objects. <laughs> so it's going to have a section on haunted books. It's going to have a section on haunted dolls and toys. It's going to have a section on other inanimate objects. It's going to have, there's so many historical st uh, stories of screaming skulls and, and haunted skulls. Uh, that go way back, right? You know, a thousand years or so. So, yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun one uh, when that when that comes out. Yeah, and and I'm not sure this may not come out to 2024, 25, maybe, just because I've I've got a whole bunch of other book projects in the works and I can't work on them all at once. But but I do have on my website marklesley.ca, I do have a link under under news and updates, a link for anyone if they've experienced any sort of inanimate object haunting that they can share their story with with me. And then of course I reach out and then I ask for attribution. So how do you want to be known? Do you want to be anonymous? Do you want, you know, if it's a particular location, do you want me to anonymize the location? So you because some people don't want to, don't want to be judged by sharing a true ghost story. So I, I, I respect their privacy. So I always, always check with them and I'll usually write up the chapter and send it back to them and say, did I get it right? <laughs> that's really important to me when I write those. Well, that's very nice of you. I mean, some people don't do that, but that's that's really nice of you. Yeah, when I can get a hold of them, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they share it directly with me, I have a way to get a hold of them. But sometimes I can't when they're, you know, when I'm researching through other articles or whatever. Cool. What's the closest? Then you say there was one other one you're working on right now that you're. Yeah, so I got Weird Waterloo. I've got the Demonic Dolls and Screaming Skulls, and then I've got Ghostly Gananoque that I've started to work on with a co-author who lives in Gananoque. Is kind of like um the St. Lawrence Seaway, um, heading sort of east from the Toronto area, closer to Ottawa. It's a smaller uh, sort of touristy town in the summertime. And a friend of mine who's a writer and a medium, she's been doing a lot of research for that one. So we're going to be put compiling that one, and then the other. Uh, Oh my God! I've got uh, spirits untapped, haunted bars and breweries. Still, still collecting stories uh, for that one because the research of going to bars and breweries is just so much fun. I don't know if I'll ever stop researching that one. And, <laughs> and then even yesterday, um, yesterday I started taking some notes for uh, Ghastly Guelph or Ghostly Guelph or something like that, <laughs> which is Guelph, Ontario, not far from this um, this small uh, town that I was in yesterday doing a book event. So I think the interesting thing is. There's no shortage of interesting stories. And and what I usually do is I keep a file folder. 
And sometimes online, I'll bookmark things and I'll tag them a certain way. And then I'll put them in a spreadsheet and I'll say, okay, there's this article that I need to read more about, or I need to research, or there's this thing I need to start looking into. And that's often going to libraries. I have like a subscription with newspaper.com where you can go and search keywords and areas and newspapers from all over the place. And they're an endless resource. And, and libraries, of course, are great, especially especially the local historians or the reference librarians. They're usually so helpful when I come in and I, and I straight say this. I'm looking for tales about this and the history of this building and whatever. What do you got? And, and they're always so amazing, so accommodating. Uh, for me. So again, I spent a lot of time in libraries. Very good, Mark. Uh, where would you like my listeners to contact you if they have any questions or any stories? To yeah. So marklesley.ca, my website, there's those forms specifically for those books, but I also have a generic contact form where they can contact me about vir virtually anything they want to. And they just kind of indicate wh why they're contacting me so I can get back to them. All right, got you. Is this Tomes or is it, how do you pronounce that? T-O-M-E-S, I've heard you. I usually pronounce it Tomes. Tomes, okay, got yeah, you. Yeah, like and, and it's a play on word. So Tomb, a place where people are buried, and Tome is a, is a large book, typically. Got you. So uh, that's that's what I went with, with uh, when I was shooting for my alliteration. And I did want people to think of Tomb. <laughs> so, okay. Very, thank well, you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's Tomes of Terror. That's how I pronounce it here in Tomes Ontario. Of gotcha. Tomes of terror. <laughs> you have Hon regional regional pronunciations, right? <laughs> there you go. Tomes. Of, well, I say tombs, and I thought, okay, he's going to kill me if I keep on pronouncing this no, wrong. No, not at all. I mean, for all I know, tombs is the proper way to pronounce it. This is just yeah. maybe a regional thing, right? right. I, I may say pop, and you may say soda. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, T-O-M-E-S of terror. Haunted bookstores and libraries. Mark Leslie, my special guest. Mark, many blessings to you, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Always great to chat with you. Thank you for listening. I invite you to follow my other podcast, Mysterious Radio. Please share this show with others that are interested in the paranormal. I want to give a special thanks to our co-creator and executive producer, Kim Kyle, who brought this show to you today. And working hard behind the scenes, our team of four... I want to thank them as well. I am your host, K-Town, and you're listening to Paranormal Fears. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's. So thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. 
Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter code FACE at checkout. That's harrys.com, code FACE. Enjoy!